BBCC episode 44, my realization of the day. How many people out there that enjoy biting during sex have secret vampire fetishes? I mean, I know the line between pleasure and pain is thin, and there might be something comforting about exploring that line with, you know, someone special. It's vulnerable and intimate in a way, you know, so I'd say the only next logical step is to exchange blood because you can't get any closer than that, right? Let's go ahead and talk about it more when we get into the show. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the weed. I'm feeling the the sexiness. Welcome back, guys. This is the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. Hello, hello. It is your boy, Devon Taylor, a.k.a. underscore Daddy Disco. And this is a horror podcast where we dive into the subgenres of our favorite horror films, and we get high while doing it, and it's always a good time. Every month, we have a different theme that we are diving into. And this is week four of Lovesick Month. But before we get into the action, I just want to give a little shout out to some of the supporters of the show, like JD Gravat, uh, Lucas Healy, Sarah from the Foxy Witch Coven, Jay Sandlin, Jessica Rose, Koopy Cake, Kaiju Groupie, and Ryan Larson, and anyone else that has been retweeting the pod, leaving five star reviews. Your support means the world, and it is how we spread the word. Um, in 2021, um, the download numbers have been super up and it has been great. So I love seeing this little cult, I mean club, continue to grow. So let's go ahead and close out our lovesick month of uh, horror movies of romance, love, relationships, sex, and lust. And the two movies we're talking about got all of those things. We're talking a couple of sexy vampire flicks for you. Lots of blood and a surprising amount of feet in these two movies that we're talking about. Uh, We're talking about Thirst and Only Lovers Left Alive, films by two prolific directors. And speaking of prolific, our guest today is quite prolific herself with work spread across platforms such as Anatomy of a Scream and We Are Horror. It is the self-proclaimed queen of spooky nonsense, Miss Laura D. Girlamo. Hello. It's nice to be here. Thank you for the uh, very generous introduction. Uh, how did I hit the last name? I was like, I'm going to channel Brad Pitt and Inglorious Bastards here, and hopefully that gets me through it. <laughs> Yeah, always, that was a, a good decision. <laughs> I always, I usually, ch- I usually check beforehand, but then I realized in my notes I still just had your name as Laura DG, and I was like, ah, shit. I was like, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't double check, but we're good. But yeah, you, yeah. you can't go wrong when you're channeling Brad. Um, but yeah. uh, first of all, I want to talk about in your in your Twitter bio, uh, spooky nonsense because you you get it like spooky nonsense is my type of jam and then I didn't realize mm-hmm. other people like started like using it more too uh, mm-hmm. specifically you uh, what is it that draws you specifically to the spooky nonsense of horror um, I, I love like the idea of like horror as like an aesthetic and how it plays into things like 
production design and like costume design and like choices and lighting and like the decisions to make horror movies like artistic in a way and to have them to use like to be very visually reliant um and especially like to play with like visual like beauty which is like the opposite of horror because you know mm-hmm. you can't really think you don't really think there's anything beautiful about the sight of like a blood splatter until you watch like a Dario Argento movie and you're like damn that looks cool yes you know? I mean yeah no that's exactly the way I think of it is yeah <laughs> a, a specific aesthetic to horror movies like you said like some of these um more that treat horror like you know high art films would treat you know these uh dramas of the past with these like you know super big sets and um you know decorative things and things that are just in there specifically to be spooky and cool looking like you know i love symbolism and visual storytelling Mm. and all that but then i also do just love things that are just there for the sake of it being cool and being like whoa that's um grossly beautiful and like yeah and it is like It is hard describing, like, the beauty of horror movies to people that, you know, don't enjoy them in that way. Like, realizing Mm -hmm. that there's more to it than just fear. You know, there's emotion, but then there's also just, like, you know, pure beauty in there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, like, visual storytelling is a good way to put it, because there's definitely, like, two types of horror movies to me. And, I mean, some of them blend both really successfully, but some of them are, like, the really, like, a really tight, like, tense script, like, something like Zodiac like David Fincher movies are like more scary in that way. And then there are films that are scary because visually they're very scary. And some of them use, use a lot of that beautiful sort of aesthetic uh, to, you know, convey that kind of mood. And especially if you go to talk about like hammer horror stuff, which is like very specifically a one type of visual aesthetic that, you know, is very pretty and very, you know, high, high aesthetic i don't know but uh yeah i like i like when they play with the idea that horror isn't always gross and ugly and sometimes you can you can marry it with stuff that's very visually beautiful yeah or or even better like when the grossness is beautiful like like Mm -hmm. it's like hard trying to like describe to someone like when you see like um we were talking about it a couple weeks ago when we're talking about horns there was like a scene where, you know, they're showing a dead body following a murder and sexual assault. But the way that they like framed her body and colored the scene, it was like a painting or like a sculpture. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that shouldn't be beautiful. You know, that like my mind shouldn't go to that. But to be able to like when you can bring those two worlds together, then it's like that's when you got something real special there. And uh, yeah. the the two movies we're talking about today definitely fall into uh the category we got lots of spooky nonsense going on oh it's totally chock full but before we get into the main event movies uh, i want my audience to get to know you a little bit and this is really our first time like getting to interact as well so i want to hear a little bit about your uh horror bio and like you know when was it that you know horror became more of a a love than just a you know something that you enjoyed yeah I feel like um I I was exposed to it kind of like with all the sort of like intro sort of kids spooky horror that I think a lot of us got intro to like um I I remember I have distinct memories of like going to the grocery store with like my mom when I'm like you know five six seven and like grocery stores have a little book section and there's like a bunch of goosebumps books 
and I was like terrified of the covers of the Goosebumps books, mm-hmm. like just these like creepy, grotesque monsters and like masks. And like on one part of me was like, oh, this is scary. I don't like it. And then the other part of me is like, but I need to know more about it. So I was like, I would get gravity. I would gravitate to that. Um, also, there was like two growing up, there was two blockbusters, like a 10 minute walk from my house, which is pretty sweet. Um, so I had a lot of movie rental decisions to choose from. And it was the same thing. I'd like eventually like poke my way into like the spooky movie section and start watching, start thinking about what those were. And then like, yeah, my mom used to watch a lot of movies. She kind of, she had like two tastes where it was like mom movies um, and like steel magnolias, but then like really scary movies and like the X-Files um, mm-hmm arachnophobia i remember watching with my mom at like maybe too young um so beetlejuice i also really liked so i think i got started on these like kind of kid-friendly creepy 90s movies in like an era when movies for kids that were like blended horror were like really fucked up and scary yeah like uh there's too many it's like in the 90s they were like we don't care we'll just we'll just traumatize children oh i watched the dark crystal when i was four and every time I rewatch The Dark Crystal now, I'm like four is way too young to watch this movie. It's really, it's really creepy and it's a little disturbing. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, I, I forget who it was on the show, but we were kind of talking about like how horror of the 90s specifically. Yeah, was like a really great, great like decade of movies for like, yeah, when you're like getting into horror and like them bordering the line between being like is this like okay for a kid or is this not you know like there were there were so many to like choose from from that era whether it be from people like Tim Burton or you know the even like more children-centric ones like from like Henry Selick like James and the Giant Peach and stuff like even though that's still very kid-friendly still very creepy also so it's like the the 90s were a great uh era from that and, and I also wanted to like kind of touch on the um, because, again, we were kind of talking about like the, the art of horror and like how, you know, you were drawn in by by covers and stuff because I was the same way, you know, being drawn in by like just wanting to see what the VHS cover, what it what it meant or what the book cover meant and how that's like kind of changed a little bit now because like I feel like movies don't put as much effort into their covers and posters these days as they used to because now it's more for the for the internet you know promotion of it all you know something that you want to catch their eye for a minute but it's gonna get lost in the feed eventually so it's like it doesn't need to be something like amazing to make it last so it's like I kind of I miss that, you know, uh, aspect yeah. of movies. Yeah, for sure. It's like, if it's a little tiny rectangle on like a Netflix screen, it's like, you don't really have to get somebody's attention as much as it's in a blockbuster or in a movie theater or something. But, uh, yeah, Tim Burton also was a huge, uh, influence. Cause I also went through like a teenage goth phase, uh, as I'm mm-hmm. sure most of us or quite a few of us did. So, you know, the Tim Burton movies, Nightmare for Christmas, uh, you know, going a hot topic, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, Sleepy Hollow to me is like um, peak beautiful spooky nonsense because it's like kind of a dumb story and it doesn't matter, but it's like this beautiful just celebration of everything. Like it's a perfect Halloween movie for that reason, um, which is also why I love Halloween. Like I love, I love the like fun, scary movies on Halloween, you know, Hocus Pocus and all those. I love that, that side of horror as well when it's like, Mm -hmm. The joyful celebration of the spooky stuff. Yeah, uh, Tim Burton was, you know, big for me growing up as well. Like, basically responsible for, like, the way I am. 
and <laughs> you know like um because yeah beetlejuice is one of those ones that like perfectly straddles the line of being like this is a great family flick but it's like oh we are diving into some depressing stuff and if you're a you know married couple that it kind of hits you at the right time beetlejuice is can be real sad but it's also amazing as well um but yeah like just the uh or how we were saying before like yeah the to have something visually be able to like stop you you know as you're like passing it is like so powerful versus like you said like if it's just like kind of put in front of you on like the netflix screen and it just like kind of it kind of changes everything completely so you know um art is important art will always be important in horror movies um so to kind of give get a little bit more of your taste into movies what's something uh you've watched recently that that kind of stuck out to you or might reflect your taste a little bit Man, I, I was I was I was thinking about this uh, this because I I was like what what should be my answer to this and honestly like I know everybody's talking about it but I just watched Saint Maud and I'm like this movie fucking rules it's so good it's um, it's great I don't know if you've seen it yet I have seen it um it's one nice. of the ones that like I didn't love it as much when I watched it I mean I liked it yeah. a, quite a bit but then it like I find myself thinking about it quite often so then I'm like did I enjoy this movie more than I thought I did? You know, and it's just been like kind of, that one's been like kind of creeping at me. Yeah, I feel like when I, I had honestly exactly the same experience and like a, a few people I talked to about it also were like, like I've, I've been hearing kind of the hype about it for like a while and like I, I missed it when it was at TIFF, which sucks because like I'm based in Toronto and I'm like, oh, there's always next year. And then, you know, we didn't know that in 2019. But uh I was like, I'll see this movie eventually. So it was a big buildup for me. And at the time I was a little bit disappointed because I was like, I wish this moved like a little bit faster. Like, I just, I don't know. I wanted like parts of it to be stronger with the pacing um, where I felt like, I felt like a lot of stuff sort of happens towards the end. But then, yeah, it was like creeping up on me. And then I was like, I can't, it was like hereditary where there were like certain scenes in that movie that are like visually burned into my brain and I can't stop thinking about them. And like the creepy like whispering and some like the visual details of like her eyes being two different colors but only in certain shots it's yeah. just I thought it was I was just so I was so impressed by like how ambitious the like you know the, the beautiful spooky nonsense was how, how ambitious sort of the, the 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 commitment to like sound design and like the you know the the visual choices that they made really emphasized the tension and then, you know, what was going on in this girl's head as this is happening. And yeah, I think I was just, I was more impressed with it on like that level, but I really, really liked it. And yeah, it's, uh, it, it creeped me out a little bit. It's a lingerer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It like, it, I had to just get over because like my biggest gripe was like I wish they would have spent more time or even really just most of it with Maud and um, Amanda. I kind of wish the movie just like stayed with them the entire time. But like, hey, that's not the movie uh, Rose Glass wanted to make. That's the movie I wanted. So I had to get past that. Mm-hmm. And then once I get past that and like take it for what it truly is. Then I was like, you know, there is just like some great spooky nonsense visuals. Like, I'm a I'm a bitch for a good levitation scene. Oh like, man, yeah. The, there's always something that I just love visually about like the levitation scene because like you know it usually comes in like a dark low point in the movie for a character, but then it's also like kind of 
I don't know, this like visual representation of like what I think of, of like giving myself over to a horror movie, you know, and Mm. just being like, you know, let it take me. That's the kind of visual I get from like levitation scenes and um, the the scene where she is like kind of writhing up the stairs as she's walking up the stairs, like felt like a dance and was just so like, I was like, this is, this is my type of spooky nonsense right here. Give me, give me more of this. Um, definitely. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Same. I'm such a sucker for like uh, good, um, like good use of like creepy whispering or like creepy voices in like horror movies. Like it's, um, what's that Ethan Hawke movie where he watches those tapes? Over Sinister. And over again? Sinister. Yeah. Sinister has great creepy sound design. Um, oh this movie yeah. had a lot of that too. Uh, I, I, I watched it with my partner and I was jokingly like, A24 makes a lot of movies where like the devil talks to someone in a different language. Ooh, <laughs> uh, this, the witch. I do love <laughs> they that. They do that too. a lot. I, I, uh, they, I, they do a lot of uh, spooky biblical voices, but yeah, it was pretty cool. I liked it. I like, uh, I like when they play with, I like that that movie was so internal. Cause it was like, it was like we were in Maud's head the whole time, which is, I guess why I didn't mind that we, we left her and Amanda sometimes. Cause mm-hmm. I like that we just stayed with Maud the whole time and we we were just with her and it was like very her story but i know what you mean i think there was some parts were like definitely like first movie-ish in some ways but like mm-hmm. rose glass is like she rose glass is like exactly my age and i'm like jesus i wish i was making shit like this now like right I'm like an incredible just accomplishment like i'm so excited to see what she does next oh yeah like as a as a directorial debut like it's it's like it's very powerful and like i respect oh, it strong. like uh, I, I expect uh, or I respect the uh, the the ambition behind it quite well. And I love that you also shouted out um, spooky uh, biblical voices. I'm always into <laughs> that, too. Like, it's so satisfying. So if you guys haven't seen St. Maud yet, um, definitely go watch it. It's uh, stream on the Epics channel. And um, I just want to shout out a film that didn't make it into this month i wanted to squeeze it in but it's okay i'm gonna be writing a nightmare on film street article for it which is uh braid by uh mitzi peron um this came out in 2018 um if you like just some great decrepit um you know architecture some spooky house porn um and bisexual women having psychological breaks this is a movie for you. Um, it's very, it's very trippy. It's, uh, I love, but I love me a good daytime horror, um, especially when they kind of utilize that glow that like kind of makes the daytime like still feel uneasy to it. Um, great colors, uh, great uh, lead performances by like the three ladies across the board. Um, it, it's, uh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. It's streaming on Amazon Prime right now, so. Go check it out, but if you have seen Braid, you know that it's not necessarily spooky nonsense because there's it's fairly grounded. It's not really like, but it's still spooky nonsense in the in the beauty of it of like some of these scenes and shots and like, um, just for the sake of being there. I, I actually showed <laughs> Braid to a first date the other night. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, you know, so let's see how this goes over. And she doesn't, she doesn't really watch a lot of movies, let alone horror movies even. So I was like, this could be a tricky one. But I, I gave her two options. I was like, do you want the weirder option or do you want the less weird option? She's like, oh, let's get weird. And I was like, cool. Um, what was the less weird option? Uh, the less weird option. 
I can't remember what the less weird option was, but <laughs> but I'm glad that she went with the weirder one. I did forget how bloody this movie gets. And, you know, you never know somebody's tolerance to that when you're showing them movies. Um, but they had a great time. They had a, they had a good time watching it um because it, it is just a very fun movie and i would like how she like ask questions like she'd be like why is the camera upside down right now i'm like and eh, no reason really it just is right now <laughs> you know like oh why 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 are the colors randomly changing in the scene <laughs> i don't know pink just, right now it just is <laughs> i don't know it just is like that's just what that's just what they wanted so i like uh, movies that just like make these uh again like artistic choices just for just for the sake of doing them because you know i like i like um i know indulgence can sometimes be like a is more a negative criticism but i never think it is i think it's a positive one like i want directors to like indulge like you know the these little artistic like you know details that they want to bring to the table you know yeah i uh, i never understand that criticism that people have of like like people like Guillermo del Toro where they're like oh Crimson Peak there's like too too much like too much of this like Victorian detail and I'm like no give me all of it like commit to it or don't like he's good at that Pacific Rim is like commit to Gundam Wing in real life or don't (laughs) like just do one or the other but yeah no Braid rules uh that's a cool movie I really I like the 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 color swapping stuff um I love Madeline Brewer who's like the lead um, I also love her in Cam. She's really great beginnings of a horror career. Um, so oh, I'm excited yeah. to see her do more more crazy stuff. But yeah, I uh, I I totally endorse uh, Braves. Also, uh, I also really enjoyed that movie. It's pretty wild. Uh, I showed someone on like a third date, a climax. Um, yeah. I was like, are you? It's like you're. <laughs> he'd watched like some horror stuff, but I'm like, are you? Are you? Are you ready for this kind of horror movie? And I actually really loved it. Oh, he would just yeah. like he would just go silent and then every once in a while turn to me and be like this movie's wild like uh-huh it's yep that's a that is <laughs> that's a great that's a great specifically third date movie because it's like okay now this <laughs> is like i can show you this and this is like where you decide like this is where you're showing your your true uh freak flag yeah. a little bit and you're going all right this is this is me okay are you into this are you are yeah, you down for like, this, this ride i like are you comfortable with this weird shit that I like? But because uh, you gotta be, <laughs> but he liked it, which is promising. Yeah, gotta be. Um, and I also you uh shout out Madeline Brewer from Braid. Um, she uh her horror startings that I remember finding her through is um Hemlock Grove, one of the original Netflix original shows, um with Bill Skarsgård. Um, that has a lot of similar things to um a couple of the movies that we're talking about specifically thirst um hemlock grove does some similar vampire things that uh thirst does so i'll i'll reference that a little bit later but uh, madeline brewer that's how i found her was in hemlock grove so she's got her little horror sprinklings all over but i think we are good and warmed up um to go ahead and get into the main movies for today's episode Thirst, released in 2009, directed by Park Chan-wook, the prolific director behind Old Boy and The Handmaiden. This movie is loosely based off of a book from the 1800s that has nothing to do with vampire diseases, 
um, but just the uh, torrid love affair part. Um, this movie stars Song Kang Ho from Parasite um, as a priest who is um, he's feeling uh, he's trying to fill a void. He's not feeling as fulfilled and satisfied as, for what he's doing as a priest. Um, affecting the lives the way he thinks he could so he does what all priests would do in that situation volunteers for a medical experiment to test a vaccine for a deadly disease which then turns him into a vampire um this movie um is i i it 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 had been sitting on my list of movies to watch for like a long time like it was like it was just a movie i was like this feels like it's gonna be my vibe and um and then it, I just never got around to it. And then, but then Laura uh, suggested it for this episode. So, what made you want to talk about Thirst today? Well, I, this, the year, the year that this came out, like 2009, was like around the time that I started getting, um, well, more heavy into like horror movies because I was like 19 ish. And I think I, I was just, I took film school and university. Um, and I knew that I liked horror stuff because I'd always kind of, you know, I'd, I had the goth phase as a teenager. But this was around when I started really kind of going into like another level of like pursuing horror movies, like looking at the international mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and I knew Park Chan-wook from Old Boy, which I'd re- seen recently. And then I was like, oh, shit, he made a vampire movie. I should watch this, too. Um, and so I... And also, like, that's it, around 19 is when you're, like, super horny. So I guess this movie also appealed to me because uh, Park Chan-wook, man, knows how to direct a sex scene. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that about this movie is that it's uh, it's it, it's this, this the relationship in it or, like, the central relationship in it is very passionate and it's very cool because sort of a passion and sexual sort of attraction is always implicitly or like explicitly hinted at in a lot of vampire movies um so i appreciate how this way is like that interview with the vampire camp where it's like a torrid love affair between two vampires i love when a movie goes that way um i love when movies do i love when vampire movies also deal with very um catholic or christian characters because sometimes they have to wrestle with that idea of like am i still a human being like am i damned by the devil like what does that mean with like my relationship with God, I always think that's interesting. Uh, I went to Catholic school my entire upbringing, um, which makes you not Catholic uh, after a while. So, uh, but it's always interesting to me when they, vampire movies explore what that means for characters. So, and yeah, I don't know. It's just like a super stylish movie. It's a super sexy movie. The performances are great. Um, the, the lead is like such a superstar now and I'm so happy for him and like Parasite. Um, and yeah, I just, I think it's just like a really well-crafted movie. It's a like peak perfect part of Chadwick movie yeah this was this was uh again like this was my first time watching this and I I'd watched like a third of old boy one time and then I fell asleep and then I meant to start it from the beginning and rewatch it and I just never have gotten around to it and now I need to rectify that and watch the handmaiden as well because uh yeah, Park Chan Wook. Yeah, um, he's he's my kind of he's my kind of director. Uh, this movie is it's sleek, it's sexy, but it's sexy in the way that you mentioned. You know, they they he captured this the the passion in this more you know primal sense. Like you know when yeah. when you see them like making out or almost having sex and then having sex. Like it's not shot in a way to where it's like they're making it look sexy because it's a film 
because it's a movie scene, you know, like it's sexy because it's like they're just like the way that they like smash their like faces into each other's bodies <laughs> and like try to pull each other like as close as possible. Like that's like the real shit that like it's like, oh, my God, I know like exactly that, you know, and like to see that reflected into a movie, I hadn't really seen it portrayed that way or I mean I have in a couple of other movies I'd say like blue is the warmest color is like another one that's like that shows sex in a very similar way that thirst does and but yeah I I very much had a great time with this uh I love the look of it um the uh score is like very vampiric in itself um I I love that like it just like fits the movie like so perfectly but yeah Song Kang-ho he um carries this movie of course and like he ha- is wonderful at showing all these different layers and like and it's funny because I remember like I love him in Parasite obviously and I was like I was like I mean he's you know he's got he's got daddy vibes but I was like I bet Song Kang-ho was like pretty attractive when he was younger so this is you know 11 uh, 12 years ago and I was like yeah, my suspicions were correct. He makes a very sexy vampire, vampire priest. Um, we we love to see it. And yeah, um, you could get it in that movie for sure. Yeah, <laughs> like when he's rocking his like, especially in his like priest robe, especially yeah. like it fits him very well. And then he like kind of goes from like wearing that to like wearing just more of a traditional like black trench coat, you know, keeping keeping like the longness of it. Um, yeah, he, he, he's working it in this movie. Um, totally. I, yeah, I love the, like, um, that you, yeah, it's very, like, there's a lot of, like, repressed sort of animalistic desires in this movie on, like, both ends, because, like, on his end, because he's a priest, and, you know, he's never really, like, let himself go in that kind of way, and then for, uh, Taiju, the woman that he becomes sort of romantically entangled with, uh, who ends up being a vampire because she's, like, a housewife and has this husband, and she's like kind of sick of the whole thing and like you know is also feeling that repressed like her sort of sexual repressed urges so like when they finally start fucking it's like oh man it's like you know you guys have been you guys have been wanting to do this for a while it looks like but uh yeah it's definitely that kind of sex which is i totally appreciate because it does feel very realistic yeah like especially like the first time where it's like they're they're like about to but then get interrupted you know I love how he like kind of, you know, pumps the brakes on us for me. He's like, ah, let me get you, let me get you all riled up. Like it was such a, it's such an awkward scene because it's like, you can tell it's like, again, like he says himself, I've never even kissed a woman. Like, you know, this is, he has had none, none of that. So it's just like his body purely reacting to like, you know, letting that out. And it, yeah, it's very animalistic um, throughout the entire movie. Like um, you get that feel. And again, it's not like the traditional, like, you know, smooth jazz sexy that you get from other vampire movies sometimes, you know, it's but it but it is still sexy. Just a, it's a different type of sexy. Um, the only thing that like I disliked, I mean, I won't even say dislike. It was just like, I don't know how a movie that is like two hours and 10 minutes can still feel slightly too short or <laughs> like it, it I like because it's like I wanted more like once they like once you know um Taiju gets turned into a vampire that happens and there's only like 40 minutes left in the movie and I wanted like that I wanted more of the the domesticated issues a vampire couple that yeah. we like get from the final act of the movie 
Um, not that I wasn't in for the whole rest of the movie because like I can't really say there's like anything that I'd want shortened down to make room for that. Just I guess give me more movie. I'll take a three hour <laughs> uh, version of Thirst. Um, I wouldn't because I also uh, kind of. I liked the way that the movie leads in as well with like just like setting up his religious background and then him doing this experiment and we get like a good like chunk of that too where it's like we get the this like slight sci-fi body horror like vibes to it before we kind of get into like more of the character stuff so it's like I like they took the time to lay into that but then I was like also like huh I could also like go for seeing some more of this like (laughs) This uh, vaccine trial, like, portion of the movie, too. I could go for more of that. So it's like, I guess, if anything, I just wanted this movie to be longer somehow. Like a mini-series. Yeah, that's kind of my, my actually, one one complaint with it, too, is that I think it has a lot of, it has maybe too many ideas, but, like, they all, they're all cool, and I like all the yeah. ideas. Like, I like all the, I like all the, like, yeah, the vaccine stuff, and, like, the grappling with his religion stuff, and, like, once Taiju enters the picture and she's a vampire, they have really, really good sexual chemistry with each other and just really great. That scene where they're, like, on the rooftop was, like, so good. Uh, it's, it's so, it's so, I was like, Twilight is nothing on this. Like, this is how you do, like, vampire eroticism. Like, this is perfect. But, yeah, it's all good. There's, like, nothing about it where I'm like, oh, I don't like the storyline or whatever. But uh, it, everything else, yeah, everything about it is great. I think we just need a series, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. First to the miniseries, the 10-episode uh, limited series. Oh, yeah. I, I would totally. I that. I would totally take that, yeah, because like you said, there are just, like, there's so many ideas going on, and, like, none of them are bad, and, like, none of them, like, they don't really shortchange any of them either, it's just, like, there's just, yeah, not enough, not enough movie to go around, um, so I think that can go ahead and segue us into um, one of the opening segments of the show is the uh, subgenre grinder, that is movie like i said every month we are uh talking you know a theme but then we're gonna kind of boil those movies down a little bit more and uh park chan wook is a great director to do this with because he plays with so many subgenres. you know he's maybe not even a director that some people like think outright horror but they just kind of think of it as this genre director in general i feel like that's the case for um i think that's kind of the case when like, you know, either South Korean films or like, you know, we just did a whole month on uh, J-horror, the way that they approach horror more not outright, like they still kind of, this is still a people's story, you know, but it's also still surrounded by like, okay, we're using the vampire elements to enhance certain things or uh, the sci-fi elements. So there's a lot of subgenres going on here. So it's like, we got horror romance because that's what we're talking about all month here. Uh, we got we got vampire. This is a like a pretty good true. It's a through and through vampire movie without being a traditional vampire movie, in uh, the way that the vampirism is treated, um, because it's treated it's science based. This is a sci fi film as well. Um, there's there's so much going on here. So like, what are some of the uh, strong subgenre stuff that stick out to you? In thirst, yeah, for sure. Like Park Chan Wook does a lot of like. Um, crime stuff like he's really good at this like hard-boiled almost like David Fincher kind of stuff like old boy is really that vibe um but you know mixed with like old boy has a lot of like really great like you know martial arts type stuff in it too or like really great choreographed fight scenes 
So he does that kind of stuff. Like he feels like, like Korean gangster type stuff that I feel like he's all, all really good at. And Thirst doesn't have that as much, but it definitely has this idea of like a, like an underground kind of thing, like a criminal underground. And then also these, like, I don't know, I don't know if they're called, like kitchen sink type drama stuff where it's just right stuff happening to like normal middle-class type people in Korea. Um, you know, except for the handmaiden where it's like a, you know, pretty specific noble people from a pretty specific time period. But Mm-hmm. you're right that they're all super character centric and they're really he doesn't do as much like lore and that sort of stuff like the, it's all it's all self-contained within the concept of the movie like thirst doesn't spend like a whole lot of time like explaining what like the vampire mm-hmm. how how it works like what the rules are exactly it's just vampirism as experienced by these characters yeah. like it's not you know it's not this big it's it's very character centric it's like a small sort of small scale story with like bigger scale sort of horror ideas yeah like and and that's that's like whenever i approach like movies whether it's like you know something where i'm in the mood to watch or whenever i'm asking other people like what they want to watch or or whether i'm writing something it's like movies basically boil down it's like there's movies about people and then there's movies about ideas um and you know and you can kind of mush those together as well but this is again like this is a character driven movie like you said with big ideas but not interested in spending not or not time in focusing on those ideas uh you know the vampirism it's just yeah um he was trying to do a vaccine trial he almost died needed a blood transfusion and then the blood transfusion made him a vampire and then like the vampire the vampire cells now attack the the disease cells and that's how he's able to survive which is like a like super cool idea and the only thing that we need to explore that idea is you know him grappling with okay I need to satiate myself you know to keep the disease at bay so I'm going to use this you know vampire curse just to help myself in that way but nothing more you know he doesn't want to use his like vampire abilities to do other things he doesn't um you know I mean he does uh, he doesn't use that to like kind of persuade Taiju. Like he tries to just like be himself and like that be enough, you know. Um, so yeah, it's like the we we don't need more of the vampire stuff more than like you said, like experienced by him. Um, there is no there's no research scene or anything where he's <laughs> meeting up with a vampire expert or in the library, you know, on random <laughs> search engine. We don't have that, you know. It's just like this is this is vampirism as he knows it. So that's as we know it. So I do uh, appreciate that. And then, so, and I don't really latch on to, um, I mean, I like exploring religious um, themes in movies, but they're not ones that like particularly interest me, but I do like that it's established and it is very important, but then it's also not something that they're, you know, shrouding the movie in as well. And that's something that I very much enjoy about. So, like, what do you get out of, like, the religious uh, themes of it? Yeah, I like that. Like, I, I it's funny because I don't necessarily always gravitate to them either because I, I find a lot of, like, religious horror movies very, like, samey. Like, they're, they're always about, like, exorcisms or, like, possession. It's like, oh, you're possessed by this demon. we got to call the Warrens in to fix you, you know? Like, they're always that kind of thing. And, you know, I don't, I don't love how, like, so many 
I, I'm like, give me more like foreign exorcism movies. Like I want to see what like an Indonesian exorcism looks like, you know, like I want, mm-hmm. I don't want it to just be like super Euro Judeo Christian centric all the time, I guess. But uh, I, I like how it's used in this movie because it's more used as a method of like self-denial and like self-discipline. And like the thing that you said, how like, him and Taiju have such totally different reactions to becoming a vampire where he's like, I'm going to be sensible about this. Like, I don't really want to have this. I totally see this as a curse. I'm only going to do what I need to survive. And she's like, holy shit, I'm a fucking yeah. vampire. And just goes crazy because it it's like, it's like people... I've known a few people who were vegetarians and then at one point or another stopped being vegetarian. And some of them are like, no, I'm just going to slowly introduce meat into my diet. And some of them are like, let's go to Korean barbecue tomorrow. So (laughs) it's like that kind of idea. So I like, I like the, that sort of, and St. Maude kind of has that too. Like I like films that portray how religious people think of themselves and what what religion does to like their sense of self-discipline and self-denial and like shame i you know those those types of movies where people are punishing themselves for having specific urges or specific feelings because they're indebted to a certain religion that says it's wrong so i always think that's an interesting those are interesting themes to play around with in horror movies and especially like vampire movies where you're like it, there's like you get a little bit of the, a little bit of this and stuff like Anne Rice and like Interview with the Vampire where it's like if I if I'm a murderer and I need to like consume human blood to survive does that make me like a monster which is maybe not even necessarily a Christian like a purely Christian way to think but it mm-hmm. is I think it affects religious people differently so I like the idea of exploring what it means for like a devoutly religious person like a priest to like suddenly be turned into this thing that just like craves like blood sex like all the stuff that like he's been taught like is 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 wrong and like evil so it's it's a cool dichotomy i think and then i think it's it's cool that he also partners up with someone who's also been taught that you know sex and like craving that desire is wrong you know and whether that's like a woman or you know a woman who's like in a very heteronormative marriage that she's not super happy with or something like I like that religion in this movie is used as a way to, to explore the stuff that you deny yourself because of whatever sort mm-hmm. of societal structure is self-imposed or opposed on you. And then like, what happens when all that shit gets thrown off the window? Like, do you just take it, do you take it a little bit at a time or do you just say, holy shit, I'm a vampire. Let's go crazy. You know, I like, I like that they react to it in two different ways. Yeah. Like it, it like pretty much exactly that. Like how I said earlier, the the movie kind of plays with this idea of like you know filling a void um you know she kind of has this void in her life because it's like yeah she's married and like does all the things you know but at the same time it's like the more the marriage was kind of forced upon her her husband's sick all the time so it's just like you know so she's got that and then um his void that he you know of him wanting to help people on uh he thinks, you know, seeking out, you know, do I need to dive further into religion? Am I not, uh, you know, uh, doing enough there? Or, you know, do I let these things that I just, you know, that are basic human things, but are told that there are other things, you know, such as sex and, um, you know, violence and stuff like that. Um, you know, how how are you going to fill that void, I guess? So I, I do like, yeah, the that 
that that that's always there uh with the religious themes but then also like it just like ties in very well to like all the other themes that they're that they're working with so it's like i know i i could see some people watching this at the beginning and like probably not enjoying the first 40 minutes or so kind of being like okay you know when when we could get to the vampire stuff but you realize how important it is you know to you know, really feel the importance of the, the crazy vampire stuff later. So, um, if you guys haven't seen this movie, make sure you guys check it out. Um, because now we'll kind of get into some of our favorite scenes and spoil some things. Um, so make sure you guys, uh, check this out. Um, if you guys haven't, um, but yeah, so what, what are some of your favorite scenes, uh, from thirst? Uh, well, like I mentioned, I really love that scene where, um, Taiju and, uh, Oh, I can't remember the lead character's name right now, but, uh, uh, uh Sang Hun. Yeah. Sang yeah. Hun. Uh, yeah. What saying, uh, when they're chasing each other across the, the rooftop of some buildings or office buildings, it's a, it's that very like, um, coy sort of like romantic movie where it's like, Oh, come chase me. But they're vampires and they're jumping across the building and it's very like playful. And this movie's kind of pretty dark the rest of the way. So this is like, this is like that one movie in vampire or that one scene in vampire movies where like you have fun with your vampire powers. So yeah. it's nice that they included, they included a scene like that in this movie. So I really like that one. Uh, yeah. I do like that. We get it twice too, because there's like the first one where, you know, he's, you know, trying to convince her at first that he's not a monster. Cause at first she reacts when she, he tells her that uh, he's a vampire. She freaks out, you know, it's like, Oh my God, you're a monster, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, he does the, you know, when he's carrying or he's jumping. It's like, yeah, uh, definitely did get the Twilight vibes for sure. But it's like, yes, this is how you do it. It was very cute. And then, like, then we have the second one where they're both vampires and then chasing after each other, jumping roof to roof. Because, um, yeah, like, the, the vampire stuff is uh, very casual and, like, subtle throughout the movie. That's a, a note that I implied, like they do like very simple things to like show their strength or like show them flying and jumping. But it's just like, but there's not a lot of attention drawn to it. They don't use like heavy CGI. Like when it comes to like that kind of stuff, or at least like not, you know, noticeable CGI in that aspect. Yeah. Lighten up, lighten up. I had to relight <laughs> my joint as well. Um, it was a good time. Oh yeah. But like, yeah, I was like very much like you said, like that's vampire fulfillment. Um, you, you gotta have that kind of stuff in there. Um, but yeah, it, it's very cute and playful. Um, the, this movie kind of focuses more on a toxic, uh, relationship, um, mm-hmm. I would say, but there are some very like cute, genuine moments and stuff. Um, one moment that I think is one of the cutest things ever, um, was the, the first, uh, scene where, uh, we discover that Taiju, uh, sleepwalks. And um, saying sees her uh, out in the streets and he notices that she has no shoes on and um, he like runs up behind her and he picks her up and he takes his shoes off and then like puts her back down in his shoes. That's some of the <laughs> slickest shit I've ever seen. He's very chivalrous. He's very you're right that this actor has dad energy, like, especially now because he's a little older, but like, I feel like he's always had it. I also really love him in hosts. Um, which was made, I think, a few years before or after Thirst. But yeah, mm. he definitely, he knows how to like take care of a lady <laughs> in like a nice, respectful way. Oh yeah. Like he's, he's just a genuinely good human being, I guess. He, he really is. Like, 
like yeah. like um yeah he's he's very chivalrous he's definitely a gentleman um and again there's there is this like i know i mentioned at the beginning there's uh this recurring motif of a feat and um you know i guess in the way that they treat them because like she kind of explains it away as like you know i run i run into situations so fast that i won't even grab my shoes like that's a character trait about me and it's like okay i see where you're going from there but then also like just that simple gesture of like him being like you know i can be somebody that's like wants to protect you you know and like um uh, you know have that that comfort um given to someone um yeah definitely uh love that one um the the first time that they do properly have sex in the hospital um, I, that was my other my other favorite scene it's, <laughs> definitely for sure it's real good it's yeah. it's real weird it's real kinky i mean we got we got feet licking we got thumb sucking there's a person a coma 10 feet away from them yeah, yeah multiple mean, surfaces multiple surfaces like <laughs> and like i said like there's just something about the way that they like are just like kind of mashing their bodies against each other you know it's like like just like i want you like melted into me like that kind of sex and it's like it's real hot it's real weird but it's real hot at the same time Real weird real hot i would say that of basically a lot of park chan wook films i've seen of sex scenes in his films where they're real weird real hot Handmaiden is a lot of scenes that are real weird but real hot, but uh, yeah, he's good. He's good at that. <laughs> like, and there's like, there's a there's a really great shot. It's just framed super well, and it's like when they're getting done, and she orgasms, and like does that like you see her like body do that like that tremble, and like when she like pulls in closer, I'm like those little details right there, like you know, showing those little aspects. I was like that's just like very impressive and like the way that he just uh, displays these scenes. Um, I, I love it. And then, um, and then I got, I got to shout out the, um, again, like once they've actually, you know, they, they go through this whole ordeal, which was, uh, this was the part that's based on the book is like kind of um, Teju's story with her uh, husband, King Wu. Um, they're like, they don't mention it in the movies, but I think it's still the case. Um, or no, they were foster children. It was in the, in the book, they're cousins that are forced to marry each other. And then oh, like the, the mom is like their aunt. That's how it is in the book. And like, it's basically, and it follows like the same thing. A, um, a, a doctor comes into town and then she falls for the doctor and then gets the doctor to kill her husband. And then, you know, all these things. So that's the part that is pulled from the book into the movie. And then Park Chan-wook adds in all the vampires and um, medical <laughs> stuff, which is cool. I think that's how yeah. you, that's how you adapt a, that's how you adapt a property. Um, yeah, for sure. Handmaiden's like that too, where it is like loosely adapted from a pre-existing novel and it's a little bit more, it's a little bit closer an adaptation, but it changes the location entirely. Um, so instead of being like England, it's like, you know, um, Japanese occupied Korea so it's like a totally different totally different political context but like the same sort of story but yeah he's good at putting his own spin on stuff but yeah he's definitely also really really attentive to the detail of like human desire which is cool and you're right it makes it makes his sex scenes very realistic uh, another thing I like that's not necessarily like like a, a single scene but is like a visual 
sort of motif is like when Sang first starts becoming a vampire and he's like sensitive to sun and he has like the bandages all over his face. It's just a cool, it, it's, it's like, he's like in transformation. It's like, he's like in, you know, like a chrysalis and he's like, a, he's turning into something that's like not what he was before. And I just like the, I like the bandages. It looks pretty cool. It's pretty, it's a pretty, it's a pretty striking sort of visual. Uh, there's like a shot from it. I really like where he's like, all wrapped up and he's like standing in front of like the whole you know whatever the religious backdrop is called i don't know the mm-hmm. altar um and it's just it's a cool scene it's so it's it's juxtaposing like something that's very very freaky and fucked up with like something very holy and sacred and i'm like such a sucker for that yes yeah give it to me it's very interesting <laughs> like uh definitely probably a reference to the invisible man especially like he's like bandaged up and then has his glasses on over the bandages yeah um, glasses are great yeah i definitely love that look and then like them kind of using that recurring motif as well for like you know how he has his like little group of worshipers because he was the person the one out of 500 that survived the uh treatment and then like people have like cross people they have a dude on a cross wrapped in bandages like that's him and uh yeah that's a, a really fun little motif um throughout i like Another motif is uh, the coloring, how there's uh, the shades of blue that um, come mm. up uh, repeatedly throughout the movie. Um, very much love uh, that. Like, it's very, everything's, like, very dark, dark and blue, and, like, with these dark shades. And then um, I like in the in the third act, like, once they, like, they're making over the, the house a little bit and they, like, paint one section, like, entirely white to like kind of mimic daytime i guess um which is like a really like small detail uh, another small vampire detail that i enjoy like yeah. oh we still want to like this. trick our mind into thinking we can still enjoy daylight so we'll mm-hmm. just like paint the inside of the house white um which just obviously leads to some great blood splatter um there's lots of blood in this movie lots mm-hmm. and lots of it uh portrayed in different ways uh, we got blood being puked up all the time. We're getting, we got people drinking IVs. Um, I like whenever he's like, uh, giving her tips on like how to get the most blood out of a body when he's like, well, you killed him. So now the heart's not pumping. So it's harder to drink. Now you're gonna have to string them up <laughs> in the bathtub and cut their feet off. So that way it drips in. And yeah, it's like so detailed. Yeah. I love, so I love how, like matter of fact it is about the blood too it's like this is just what we have to do and then like when people just like puke up just like giant amounts it's just like uh like because he like expected it like whenever he like first turns her you know but then like it gives her the disease as well so it's like she has to have the disease for a moment (laughs) and she pukes up all the blood and then he like lets her drink and then she like heals herself so it's like um you know she you get the the cycle like in a condensed form with her but um i love when the the friends come back over at the end and um it's like taiju's trying to kill them sang is trying to stop taiju from killing them mm-hmm. and just the way that it's um uh filmed like it has great movement to it but then the the blue and uh clashing with like the white and then we get the red blood splatters um taiju lands this devastating throat punch to somebody and like again <laughs> like just like showing off their like slight you know strength like they're not like super duper strong but they're obviously like stronger than humans and she punches him so hard in the throat and then his head like snaps <laughs> back and it like tears open a little bit 
I was like, oh man, that was killer. Um, I love the 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 jolts of violence and then just like big like sprays of blood throughout the film. Yeah, it's so it's so visually striking with all those like contrasts and like contrasting colors. It's so cool. I also I love that it's like it's like really funny a lot of the time. Like just yeah, because of like that scene that scene we're saying what you said we're saying is explaining to her you have to string them up and blah 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 is like. It's so I love I love dark morbid humor in especially vampire movies. Um, I just I love I love when movies like this don't take themselves too seriously like, all the time, and I like I like that a lot of Park Chan Wook's movies have this dark fucked up sense of humor, which is I think what makes me like him uh, also. Um, and yeah, very like viscerally bloody all the time, and sometimes that's fu- that can be funny too. Oh um, yeah, but yeah, it really it's so good that way. I'll say there is a there's a genuine like dark playfulness like spread across the movie. Um, definitely love the dark comedy. So I'll I'll wrap up the discussion of this movie with a couple of my favorite lines that I wrote down. Um, the one where is uh the father the blind father is feeling around inside of his body and he casually says, "Don't grab my heart so hard." Um, there's another one <laughs> whenever uh the scene where uh Sang learns that um. Kang Wu didn't abuse Taiju and she like, you know, manipulated him into killing. And, and she's like, well, why else would I, or he's like, why you didn't like me at first when you thought I was a vampire, but what did you like? And then she's like, well, no, of course it was because you're a vampire. And he gets really upset and he goes, you said I was cute, you cunt. And I thought that was really great timing for that line. And then um, another small bit of dark comedy, shout out to uh, Song Kang-ho for uh, showing his dong, his tiny little dong. We love frontal nudity here on the Boy Blunt Cinema Club. Yes, we do. I remember reading, this is, uh, not a lot of South Korean movies do that. It was one of the first sort of mainstream South Korean movies that had full frontal male, male nudity, which is great. Hell yeah. We love to see it. Thank you, Park Chan-wook, for your services. <laughs> Only Lovers Left Alive, released in 2013, written and directed by Jim Jarmusch, um, recently um, did The Dead Don't Die as far as his latest um, spooky output. Um, the man makes a lot of movies. Um, he makes a very particular type of movie. Um, uh, there's, um, you want to talk about spooky nonsense? This is the uh, this is a shining example of spooky nonsense. You want to know the plot of this movie? Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston are sexy vampire lovers. That's it. That's the that's the plot. That's the story. Not much else to talk about. I guess we'll go ahead and end the episode. Um, but I absolutely love this movie. Um, it's just very visually pleasing. Um, the score. Uh, done by frequent collaborator Josef von Wissem, along with uh, Jarmusch himself, um, under his band Squirrel. Um, I have It's one of my favorite horror scores and soundtracks of all time. I listen to it quite often um, in just everyday uh, activities. And the cinematography done by Yorick Lasso, um, who did um, the camera work on Personal Shopper and High Life, uh, to kind of give you an idea, very um, dizzying, very hypnotic 
Um, this movie is all aesthetic, um, has just great set decorations. And then it's like, oh yeah, they're also vampires. Um, they, it follows Adam and Eve, a story of two vampires. They've been lovers for centuries. Um, and they just, um, you know, they just kind of live their life. They are, they're enthusiasts of various things and it's, uh, just kind of a, a meditation on that. And, um, some of, some of, um, you know, the the themes when you kind of think about um your mortality and um you know the 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 desire to still get things out of life and then when that motivation kind of starts dwindling um but yeah it's a it's a gorgeous gorgeous movie um Laura what what do you love about uh this film right here uh honestly basically everything you just said more or less um I love like one of my favorite things about vampires like is that like what what do you how do you keep life interesting if you're living for like centuries like Mm -hmm. what do you what do you devote your time to um this is also why i'm a big Anne rice fan because a lot of her books um go into that a lot like it's a lot of vampires internal monologuing about like what do i what do i how do i keep what do i keep living for at this point so which is kind of what um tom hiddleston's character adam is kind of grappling with where he's like seeing people and he's seeing like normal sort of people, humans going about their daily lives. And he's living in like a really economically depressed part of Detroit where it's like just nothingness. So he's just being like kind of, in, you know, consumed by like the malaise of being like an immortal person um, and just like stuck in, in, in not knowing how to keep going. And in a lot of like Anne Rice books, she also like, some vampires in her books just go and they just go to sleep. They're like, I'm just going to go underground and sleep for like a hundred years because I don't know how to pass the next hundred years. So there's, you know, there's like, you just get sort of, you know, consumed by like every day is the same. And, you know, this is the pandemic. It kind of feels like every day is the same, Mm -hmm. but it's like, imagine being, what would you do if you've lived for hundreds of years and like you've watched people you love die like tons of times over, like, what do you so I like how in this movie they he tries to devote it to like artistic pursuits which is like I like to think if I became a vampire that's what I would do also I I don't every time I watch this movie I'm like how do do I be these people when I grow up like is there what university program do I have to take to become Tilda Swinton and Only Lovers Left Alive because that's what I would like to be Uh, I would like to be a centuries-old vampire living in Morocco with a fabulous wardrobe uh, with my uh, sexy musician husband like great perfect life oh i mean it's it's literally the dream i mean the 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 i mean that's what makes vampires cool that's the that's the key to being cool not just being a vampire but it's the fact that you have had to have lived for like a 500 years to just like learn how to be the ultimate cool even though actually it's been like way longer i mean shit she mentions like the crusades and shit They've been around yeah, for a like long time. Yeah, like it never says how long they've been alive, which I think is cool. I yeah. like that it's just, they're just these sexy immortal beings. And like, once he embraces the fact, like I like the I like the conversation that Tilda Swinton has with him when she realizes sort of fully that he has become suicidal. And she tells him that like, you just, you have to find the things that, you have to embrace who you are and find the things in life that you can embrace and that you feel passionately about. And for him, it's music. And she's kind of encouraging him to just like embrace being cool. Like this is, Mm -hmm. don't, don't let sort of, like people have been like this forever. Like don't let it 
drag you down kind of thing. Like, like find the sort of reasons to wake up in the morning, you know, because there are lots of reasons if you know where to look, you know? Yeah. And I love that, you know, we have this perfect dichotomy between them. Um, you know, sometimes it can be on the nose, whether it be their names being Adam and Eve. He's always, <laughs> he's always in black. She's always in white, you know? So it's like, they like even their hair, you know, like they very much like that, but they're that perfect compliment. That's what makes this like particular like romance, like just very appealing because it's like that, that idea of like that perfect compliment to you, you know, like she's more optimistic, he's more pessimistic and like, uh, yeah, like them and the idea of like that they're not always together. They kind of live their lives and then it's like, oh, hey, like, obviously I love you and you're my person. Oh, we're, let's let you, you need me right now. So let's meet back up. And then they meet up and they just like, you know, mesh perfectly within to each other. There's no, there's no, um, you know, conflict between them two in, in the film, you know, that's like, they are perfect. They are happy. They love each other. And like, yeah, like she supports him in his, you know, in his um, music collecting and creating music. His weird music career. <laughs> his weird music career of, yeah, collecting guitars and then making music but not releasing it, but everybody knows yeah. who he is and With, stuff. On audio equipment from 40 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Uh, I love and like she and she like genuinely she genuinely like loves how he's this like weird makeshift scientist um, he loves science that's his other like thing and he, like he's like has his like weird power hookup and she like you know genuinely like loves those things about him and then he like genuinely like loves how intelligent she is and like her ability um, she has this like ability where she can touch things and like date them um exactly um another like just like small little vampire detail they throw out there but like don't draw attention to or explain either um like they really do just have this like perfect just like relationship and of course they are two of the sexiest beings like in real life as well they might be vampires in real life like this might be just autobiographical and they haven't told us yet because that's what i I would believe that yeah, I'm fully on board with that. Um, I love that they have so much like stuff because that is to me also kind of a realistic vampire detail too. Because if you live, like I've only lived in my apartment for three and a half years and I feel like I have so much crap. How did I collect all this shit? And like, imagine if you're like 800 plus years old, like you would have so much stuff. Oh like, there's yeah. A part, there's a part in the movie where Tilda Swinton tells him that his, she basically says that the bathrobe, the, the dressing gown that he's wearing is like 500 years old. And I'm like, he just has that. Yeah. He's, he's like, oh, this? Oh yeah. Uh, Shakespeare gave this to me. I also love the side joke that Christopher Marlowe wrote all of William Shakespeare's plays. Yeah. The like English student nerd that appeared me that like super appeals to that. I'm like, oh yeah, I love that conspiracy theory. So and, great like, that this movie just went with it. Yeah, and like Eve like wants him wants him to like tell people and he's like, What does it matter now? Like Yeah, it's like, great. It is so much humor about what what it means to be super immortal. It's like watching super cool old people who just lived for a minute centuries I mean, and they're just bickering about the same old shit. Like for sure they've had this conversation so many times she's probably told him this so many times they've been arguing about the same shit mm-hmm. they're like an old married couple it's, it's like that's why her and adam get along so well because they they've been together so long they just know each other so perfectly and so intrinsically even when they're you know literally half a world apart 
Also love the detail about how flying sucks because they can only fly on night flights. Yeah. And she has to sail. She has to go from Tangier to Detroit and it's like 10 different credit cards. Like, okay, what mm-hmm. night flight do you have? Okay. There's a layover in Paris. Made me miss traveling. Oh, I, I'm like, oh, like shit. I can't wait to be on an airplane and deal with all this stupid airplane bullshit again. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love your, like, yeah, another cool, like little vampire detail. And then again, like the attention to the stuff there, they just both have like in her place in Tangier, she's just like so many books and like, she wears mm. such eclectic clothing and like, and then like his, um, like little home in Detroit is like so perfectly dingy and decrepit. It's like, it's a mess, but it doesn't feel messy because it's like all like, like you know tangible things i love how much attention like you know that they just have scenes where it's just them hanging out in their places with their things you know and just like kind of showing that showing the uh set decoration which is just like immaculate in this movie um both of their places um just like and how those like little details just like inform you things about them you know without you know them also just like kind of saying it um i love adam's uh relationship with uh his familiar anton yelkin oh my god he's so great uh, i miss him so much i'm like what a great role perfect he, like detroit metal long hair metalhead like this kid oh man i love this kid i know kids like this <laughs> yeah if you're gonna have a familiar like uh ian <laughs> is the the type to have uh anton's so perfect in a in a tiny little role um uh, um and like they kind of have like those like uh discussions too and i like i like when like um when adam is talking to him and then like slips up on things and he's like yeah i saw like seeing him play live blah blah and he goes wait you saw so-and-so play live like that would have been like 60 years ago and then adam's like yeah uh, i saw him on youtube he's like oh right on like he doesn't even question he's like oh yeah so cool yeah yeah cool Wait, what do you, and like, it doesn't ask what he wants a wood bullet for. He's just like, wait, what were the no. types of wood again? Can you, let me write he that. He doesn't have a again. bathroom, which is great. Yes. Like, he's not, he's like, can I use your bathroom? And he's like, oh, sorry, it's still a murder because he's a vampire. He doesn't but, need to pee. I wrote that down too. I was like, they don't have to go to the bathroom. That's such a great little detail. Yeah, it's so good. I, I love all, I love all those details, like just about the sort of mundane kind of realities of just being somebody who's lived that long and doesn't have just, there's not a lot of, a lot, there's not a lot of movies that do that. They kind of play up the more glamorous and the more like tortured, violent parts of being a vampire. But um, it's what I also love about uh, like what we do in the shadows. It's also like, a movie about the mundane realities of being a vampire because you would need flatmates, you know? Yeah, that exactly. Yeah, yeah like uh, just a whole different vibe. And like, so to like kind of compare this like between Thirst, you know, um, I kind of want to like compare like the, the sexy vibes as well because like in Thirst, it's more raw, primal, you know, animalistic sexy. But like this is like the kind of traditional sexiness that you think about when you think about vampires. But, like, you know, just, like, in a more modern thinking, um, Jim Jarmusch is a director I wouldn't say is known for his sexiness yeah. in films, but um, the way that, um, you know, he just frames them and uh, the way that they are just, like, because, you know, like, they also look similar, you know? it's Yeah, like, they're, they're like they're, a perfect yin-yang at one point. Like, that's how they sleep. Exactly, and it, that's how they sleep, and I love that. Like, I love that the... 
the way that they show their comfortability with each other, like they kind of lay together also in these like awkward positions, but you can tell are like comfortable for them because like that's just like how they enjoy laying with each other, you know, like th- little things like that are like very just like that's like very dreamy, sexy, you know, that's that. You know, they yeah. have that they have that just like sex on a Sunday morning like relationship. Like that's that's these guys. Like I love his like attention to their body and um to to the hands. We talked about hands on the podcast yeah, last week. And on musical instruments. I love I love yeah, totally. I love you're they're they're so comfortable with each other. You're right. It's like they're so like relationship goals because it's like that's like they they like they live in different places. It's like they're so respectful of each other's like space in that way because they're so comfortable with each other, and then they they know that even when they're, you know, half a, half a globe apart, like they'll she'll come at the drop of a hat if she knows that he's like struggling. Exactly. So they're always. It's so. It's like. It's like it's it's so like the relationship like that everyone should aspire to be. Like they're so great, and they are so complimentary of each other and and supportive of each other's pursuits and they there's such a perfect like the only like the only very very small conflict they ever have in the movie and it's not towards each other is when uh eve's sister ava comes who to me is kind of the only weak part in the movie but only because she disrupts their like beautiful like married person dreamy blissful sexy bubble to mm-hmm. just be like annoying just and, like, a, yeah disrupt them wake them up early you know, to do all that stuff. And it's like, it disrupts that like dreamy sort of sex vibe, but it really like just works to highlight how like that's the perfect bubble that they have to be in. And, and yeah, it's like, I understand why she's in the movie and I love that actress, but I'm like, oh, but I want just more conversations about them casually lounging naked and talking about their favorite music. Like I just want yes. to watch that, you know? Oh yeah, like I love the way that it happens too because it like happens in like one of my favorite scenes in the movie which is just them fucking dancing together. Adam yeah, is sad. So cute to Motown music. Adam it's so is you'd- Adam it's not is, what you think vampires would do. Exactly. Like, Adam is just being a sad boy, and she just wants to cheer him up, and she goes, and you just got to remember to dance. And they dance to some Motown, and it's just some of the cutesiest shit ever. Like, the way that, like, they hold each other and, like, embrace, and, like, like, like when you, like, see him, just, like, you know, he's obviously already vulnerable and just, like, kind of gives himself over to her, you know. It's such a perfect moment. And then, yeah, and then in bus Ava like literally right after that to like kind of ruin everything. And um yeah, I mean it is kind of I guess Jim was like, okay, I got to give you guys something somewhat of a Yeah, it's like we need a plot, plot. I guess. Like it needs guess. to be a conflict, I guess. I mean, I would fully watch <laughs> 2 hours of Adam and Eve just shooting yeah, shit about just that. Know? Like we Yeah, we, about music and books and Christopher Marlowe and all that stuff. That's all I want imagine um if you saw recently malcolm and marie give us malcolm and marie oh, but with adam and eve instead like give us that uh <laughs> just hanging out with them for like one singular night i would that would be so fun um and yeah I, and i do love uh mia what's her face um she was also um well, What's I, don't know to, I actually don't know how to say her last name. I, I'm so oh, sorry, Mia. I, I very know well how to say her name, but I think Mia What's Her Face is a lot better. Um, 
Uh, but yeah, uh, I, she's been mentioned on the podcast a couple times. I always love her presence. She makes a cute little annoying vampire. And then, yeah, um, great, great bratty little sister vibes. Yeah. And then I love the, um, you know, uh, Adam so casually after, you know, he killed after she kills Anton and then he goes, you drank Ian just like so <laughs> plainly. <laughs> And she was just like, oh, I couldn't stop. Yeah. He tasted so good. And it was just like, and he was like, damn, like, yeah. I actually like, liked him. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's so sad. I love the part where she's telling um, uh, Eve, uh, oh, I, I, I didn't mean to, but he tasted so good. And now I feel sick. And she's like, of course you do. He's in the music industry. <laughs> like, yeah. who knows what's in that guy's blood? How many substances are floating around in there? <laughs> yes. Um, that's why they're so parent they're so paranoid about blood which i think is also another cool vampire detail and something you don't think about like they're afraid of like modern blood because there's like pollution and you know whatever but uh they're very traditional in that way yeah um i want to touch on touch on the blood aspect while we're while we're there um i like the way that they yeah like you said they they treat it like very like it's very special because it obviously is like very important to them it's how they survive and a lot of other yeah vampire movies don't treat it as such like it's always just like yeah it is what we need to survive but we'll take it from anywhere you know but like yeah like they're very particular on the way that they get their blood you know um uh which i love the the random that's where we kind of get like the classic uh jim jarmusch comedy is uh adam going to the hospital to get blood from jeffrey rush who again like it's like you get Jeffrey Rush to be in this like, you know, cameo bit role for like three yeah. scenes, but uh he's very great at it. Um, with their like little exchanges and like him like on to the fact that Adam is a vampire but never actually just like straight up asks him, you know. He's just like, I mean, hey, a guy wants blood and I'm getting money, but like I mean he might be a vampire, but oh well, I don't know. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to do with this, but and uh, Adam yeah. is Doctor Faust. Dr. Faust on his name tag, um, you know. For... And uh, with Watson, or Dr. Watson, is the is the, the mm-hmm. other guy's name. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, funny funny little bit, and then I like the way that they, like, when they drink their blood, it's, like, kind of like this, like, euphoric, like, drug experience, you know, because they, like, give themselves just, just enough, like, they don't, you know, they're not like vampires where they have to, like, drink, uh, like, in, in Thirst, you have to drink, like, a thermos full to you know mm-hmm. be like satiated versus then yeah. they just like they take their little bits at a time and it like you know hits them in this like way that it's like you know when you like think of vampirism and immortality is like kind of this drug you know because they are they are people that you know they live life of like ultimate pleasure basically like they just they get to live forever and just learn as much about the things that they love and have the perfect relationship you know it's just like it they yeah they don't have to work <laughs> yeah or maybe they did you know however they got that money you know again it's like they they have so much lore behind them but i love how we just like get like uh the the little glimpses of it but this is like a it's like this is a vampire movie that has the blood but it's not overly bloody though like because there's not much uh you know there's not any violence or anything um, there's no, you know, killing or action sequences. Um, none of that here. We just have uh, straight sexy vampires for a majority of it. For a majority, except the brief part where Ian dies, which, as Eve says, is quite graphic. It's I don't. That's the one part of the movie where I'm like, ooh, this is, 
that they go that they go to the horror movie route that one time with yeah. Ian dissolving in a bunch of acid. So yeah, because he's a great character. But um, I get you're right. He just had to be like, okay, we can't. This movie can't be two hours of them lounging. But I would watch that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 such a good just ca- casually sexy movie and very much the opposite of thirst. And that's also an interesting vampire lore detail that I like when vampire movies explore the idea that sometimes like young vampires need like more blood because you're still like changing, you're like weaker. And then when yeah. you're like, cause if, if they're like centuries old, like for them, it's just like, um, they don't need to like gorge themselves on it, you know, maybe like they require less of it to keep going kind of thing. And they don't really come out and like super spell that out. But I always wonder if that kind of goes into it when people think about how vampires operate in these movies, because you have to good sort of like lore and movies for me, I find is when it's like not super all spelled out, but it's kind of insinuated from these things. And like, like even how Christopher Marlowe's like, potentially presumably older than they are they don't really touch on but he's like dying from poison blood which i think is kind of interesting but then you're like is it an age thing do they have like a specific time limit where they need more blood how does that work with the poisoning so they infer that like vampires have biological needs in that way but like they don't need to pee when we know that because of that like i like this this movie is very if there's a depiction of vampires that I would believe, it's like this one. I'm like, I believe that there's people out there that really yes. think they are, you know? Yeah. Like it doesn't feel super far fetched. I would believe it if someone t- if someone told me this is real. I'd be like, yeah, that's that's wild, but sure, you know? Oh yeah. We don't one... know the way the world works. <laughs> hey, I mean, Keanu Reeves, he could be one of them. Pharrell Williams. There's lots of potential vampires out there There's in the world. There's a lot of potential that, vampires. That, that Paul we don't Rudd. Know. Paul be. Rudd definitely could be. But yeah, like Clinton I. Clinton could be for sure. I believe that. Yeah. And I think, it, and I think like maybe that's kind of a similar idea. Like since they are so old that they're like also past that, like that, like uh, the primal bloodlust, like that, like, you know, lust for violence. Cause like in thirst, like, Taiju, she like you know likes killing for the blood because like you know she gets the rush from it and like enjoys like that part and then like you know um saying he has violent urges he's just able to control his a little bit more but like um adam and eve they don't have that like they they don't like i mean there's like a couple glimpses of like when they see blood in public or something but they they just like kind of take a moment and like you know acknowledge that it does something to them but like they don't have that like you know animalistic urge anymore for like the violence of it all yeah way more self-control it's like maybe maybe at one point they were like that but you know after the centuries of dealing with it you learn to you learn to like express that side of yourself in like a safe sort of accessible way because they don't they don't they seem to like humans like they do seem genuinely regretful of the fact that they need to you know the end of the movie they spend a really long time being like should we like we're about to die should we kill you know it's couple but it's like literally a life or death situation for them and you get that it's like they don't really want to hurt people they kind of do them no harm but they know that it's you know they're just these beings that exist parallel to us and like need us to survive but uh yeah i i love i love that depiction of vampires i, I love that depiction of like you just they just live along us and they're they're there existing and kind of feeding off us i like these vampires that do it in a passive way and you get that maybe ava uh is 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 maybe actually the kind of vampire that has a little bit more fun killing people 
So yeah. maybe there's those kinds too. Exactly. And like, I like that they, they use the vampirism here to like kind of explore like the mental health of a vampire, which was kind of interesting because of the idea of like, yeah, you're living so long and you, of course, are going to go through these highs and lows and like, you know, the way that Eve like comes in, you can tell that like, Ad, she even says that like that Adams like had like an existential like sadness like this before he's been depressed before and you know he just needs something that's gonna mot like you know motivate him and get him past it man it's just like oh this is just a phase same same stuff um and in the movie it's just like kind of reminds you of like you know how they just like live for like these like little moments you know it's like they they meet up after not seeing each other for a long time and it's like they could be going out doing all sorts of crazy stuff but it's like no they're still just taking cruises together in the middle of the night you know they're still just hanging out in the in the crib listening to music like they're still just doing like the little things and then like at the very end like you know when um you know he's kind of you know his feelings are like kind of reinforced by after marlo dying and then they just are walking around and then they see uh this uh lebanese singer performing in this like little small venue and it's just like that uh, uh that one random beautiful thing you know like when you're just out and about and you see a show by chance like that so it's like appreciating those like very little things and it's like see those are like the only things you need to like kind of keep you going rather than worrying about all this existential stuff which is you know just the things out of jim jarmusch's diary as far as like <laughs> environmentalism and stuff <laughs> yeah it's funny because this is actually the first uh and only one of two of his films that i've seen when the other one is just uh dead don't die so i don't actually know his entire back catalog very well but from what i understand uh only lovers left alive is very typical of him which kind of makes me want to go back and watch a lot of his movies but i don't know if all the other ones have sexy vampires that's kind of the draw for this one or was for me initially <laughs> It, I, I'm not like super familiar with his work. I've seen like a handful of them. Um, and I would say it's like this one, it sticks out because it's not like he doesn't do sexy, you know, monster stuff like this often. Um, sexy monster stuff. But um, as far as like the style and like kind of voice of the film is like very much like it's very Jim Jarmusch for sure. He's a he's an interesting guy. And um there was like um, a quote that I saw from his uh, compo the composer Yosef, who's worked with uh, Jim on a bunch of stuff. They've worked on music together as well, and um, he like talks about how this movie is like almost autobiographical in a sense, like how Jim is this. Uh, he's like a he called him a cultural sponge, and like that's kind of mm. what Adam and Eve are. Like you know they just like kind of they love just soaking in the information and new things of, you know, their particular things, whether it be literature for Eve or music and science for Adam. So um, I, I find that very interesting. Um, Jim Jarmusch seems like a very eclectic guy because he's like, he's written books. He's done a bunch of movies. He's made music albums. Um, he's composed like scores on a few of his movies. Um, so a very, very interesting guy who, who may or may not be a vampire himself. Who knows? He could be. I'd, I'd believe that. Yeah, this uh, this movie, you know, to tie it back to the beginning, this movie is like the epitome of beautiful, spooky nonsense. And I think it is, it's that attention to the cultural specificity and like 
it's it's like it's so celebratory of like you know art and literature and music and like science which is a type of art as well and just all mm -hmm. of those all of those sort of like that's why like eve love seems to love that's why they both i have think love and respect human beings is because they they're so respectful of like humanity's cultural outputs like adam has this whole wall of like all of his like cultural heroes and they're all like musicians and scientists who are spanning like genres and decades and and so it's like they i i i i get that makes total sense that he's a cultural sponge person because this movie is very reflective of that because that's they they because they live so long you have so much content to consume and when you can live forever you can you know you have time to watch all the tv shows if you want but uh and then you get to i don't know it's like such a per like i wish this is like the ideal life if none of us uh, if all of us yep. could just lounge around consume all our favorite content with the people that we love and like you know have this wonderful successful long-term relationship with where they can see each other at the drop of the hat and they you know they skype in or whatever weird <laughs> shit that adam does <laughs> right. figure out his skype i love how he's rigged like a vcr he's a to a laptop like <laughs> it's so weird can you do that she she calls him uh her little pack rat scientist and i thought that yeah. was really cute and funny because yeah his weird rigged up facetime but yeah, um, I love you hit the nail on the head. It's like this is an ultimate just like celebration of beauty and art and just like things that you love and like things that move you. And like you said, the people that move you. And um, I mean, you can you can say like in comparison to the dead don't die what you've seen, like, you know, both of them have Jarmusch's feelings and opinions on like environmentalism and like stuff like that. But this one is like the more optimistic angle of it versus the dead don't die is like very cynical um, in the feelings about it. So it's like this one, it's like, yeah, like very, it's very hopeful, optimistic of like, of showing you just like, yeah, that kind of ideal um, life, you know, that you could have if you were a sexy vampire, but we're not, um, but it's sadly. a, sadly, um, so to and thoughts on that um, in in celebration of spooky nonsense. I love that Adam often refers to um, scientific anomalies as spooky action throughout <laughs> the movie. Um, I thought that was really funny because like that's yeah, a good way great. to explain certain like scientific things that don't make sense. It's like he's like, yeah, talk about spooky action. I was like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. Good way to summarize that. <laughs> yeah. So. So to close us out, um, we're closing out Lovesick Month, a month of romance and love and lust. And um, I think it was very fitting to finish out with a couple vampire movies because I'd say throughout the horror genre, they might be the most romanticized monsters out there. Um, so I was wondering, you know, from you, what is it, you know, what is so romantic about vampires and vampire movies specifically? Like, how have they been like so heavily associated with like lust and romance? I think it's like, I think you said something earlier about how they're like, it's only lovers left alive and thirst are like two different opposites of like different points in a relationship. Um, like the thirst is like when you, when you first become a vampire or when you first start fucking somebody and it's like electric sparks fly, like super passionate, just pounding on multiple surfaces and then Only Lovers Left Alive is later in the relationship. 
you know, maybe it's long-term, you're at different places, but you still have the same amount of like love and connection for each other. And you're always there for each other. And they're both kind of like, they're both kind of the highs of like, of like relationships and love and dating in different ways. And they're both kind of tied to vampirism where like the initial that that's that exploration of like bloodlust and like sex and like passion and just kind of like giving yourself over to like you know sexual physical desire and then the idea that like also you you can do you do this forever and it's not always going to be interesting and relationships can be relationships like vampirism can be crazy and passionate and intense and exciting at first because you're feeling all these new sensations and, and but if you're going to feel that way to get forever you're going to have to learn how to temper all that stuff because you're never going to feel it's never going to feel new and passionate and exciting every single day so i think to me vampires are a really cool way to explore sort of different different dichotomies and different sides of like human you know sort of physical human romantic desire for each other so Mm -hmm. and i think yeah everything about them sort of like facilitates that in a cool way whether it's the sexual sort of frenzy or like the melancholy live forever how can you how do you continue to stand somebody if you you know how do you make like a 10-year relationship work let alone like a 100-year relationship work right exactly like and i'd say like it's exactly like what you said like um you know exploring those different angles of the relationship but then i think it's also exploring like you know that angle of like you know, the, the physical embodiment of yourself. Like, cause when you think about it, vampires are literally just an extreme version of humans, you know, mm-hmm. where you get this, like, you know, all these increased strengths and abilities and you get to live forever and all these things and you're instantly sexy and you get all those things with the caveat of like, okay, you kind of lose part of your humanity. Um, you know, you have to feed off blood, you have different changes. So it's like this extreme version of yourself with a monkey paw, um, kind of catch to it and so it's like you get to explore just like this like you said like the extreme nature of like you know everyone has those you know primal you know sexual desires within them like you know and some people are just better at managing them than others but then it's like or when you're a vampire you just have everything is amplified you know so even that aspect is amplified to a degree and so I guess like it's just like I guess that's why people can find um, these stories a little bit more re- relatable when you're using vampires. Um, and I, I really uh, love how Thirst explored that particularly here. Um, and again, like because like they they still present like all the vampire stuff is like pretty casual for the most part besides like you know, the, the rooftop jumping scenes and like stuff like that. Like everything is just like very casual. They still do things, the, the regular things that they would do, but just like, there's just like slight things like, oh, they can pick up a couch now in one pull versus, you know, whatever. So it's just like, just dialing it up just that much to like kind of explore those, um, those urges kind of bring them to the surface a little bit more. Yeah, it's, it's vampires are so, they're so, yeah, physical, they're so extreme physical reactions to, like, sort of human tactile, and, uh, like, it's interesting to me how in, in vampire movies, and sometimes at certain points in these movies, that vampires can feel like the, the really, the, the sort of pleasurable and, like, nice parts of, like, having sort of being like a more intense version of a human being so feeling like physical love 
and like physical attraction like so intensely but I can see how it can get that intensity can get violent and especially when you're like a more intense being like a vampire because for some people it can become intense in like a you know violent sort of obsessive way so Mm -hmm. it it makes sense that vampire movies kind of explore what that like dual urge is like yeah it's um I, I definitely agree it's like and and with the two different examples that we have here it's like you know when you think about it in terms of uh love and romance and like you know he, like human connection with someone um it's like you know vampires and, and in kind of like just life goals in general as well it's like vampires give you the tools it's like if this is what like only lovers left alive it's like this is like the life that you could potentially have if you were you know had the luxury of living forever and like you know being able to accumulate a lot of money over time accumulate a lot of knowledge like this is what and like in getting to know someone for such a long time like this is what you could potentially have if you were a vampire if you were able to have those things you know if you were able to get into that situation and then, and then, like, kind of same thing with thirst. It's like, you know, this is what could happen, like, for people that are sexually oppressed, like, and wanting to unlock those kind of things. But then it's like, when you get into that passionate frenzy relationship at first, and you think everything's amazing, but then you realize the person's not who you think they are. Um, it's like, how much of that are you willing to stick through? Or, like, are you going to are you going to break it off? But then it's like saying doesn't break it off. He's like, you know, but you're like kind of the only person that like, you know, you did still, I know you do still like me for me somewhat, but then like, you're also like the only person I like can be with now. So like, I'm going to try to like help you, you know, control your urges so we can still try to be together just cause he just wants somebody. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, that's I feel like the key to kind of like you know the relationship in first like would that have lasted or was it just like an initial sort of like huge frenzy of whatever because you do have to learn how to like temper that stuff in order to keep you know you have to like it can't be like raging bonfire all the time you got to kind of like keep keep the fire going in the fireplace but not to an amount where it's gonna burn your burn your living room down (laughs) exactly yeah we don't we don't want you to um, you know, what's the, the phrase burn, you'd rather burn bright than fade away, but yeah, we want much. to, we want a consistent burn though. Yeah. And interesting because vampires can die by fire. Ah, there we go. Full circle people. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we love vampires here on the podcast. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for joining us, um, here talking these vampire flicks and all your wonderful insights. Um, where can the people find you? What you're working on right now? Uh, well, first off, thank you for inviting me. This is super fun. I could talk about these movies all day because uh, I really enjoy both of them. Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Laura underscore DG. Uh, it's private right now, but if you, uh, if you, if you send me an invite, I'll probably add you, but, uh, and that's where, where I'm predominantly at now. I've been doing some stuff with uh, Anatomy of the Scream with their Pod Squad network. Um, so I've, we've been kind of like launching some podcasts and stuff. Uh, I might be doing a project, a little limited potential series of my own, which will be exciting. Uh, and I'm doing uh, potentially more episodes of a thing I have going with uh, Ali Chapel, who's a, another fellow Toronto film person uh called let the bodies hit the dance floor also with anatomy of a scream where we just talk about dance horror movies 
and uh, horror yes. movies that involve dance in some way, which is really fun because uh, talk about beautiful spooky nonsense. Uh, and she's an actual like trained ballerina. So I like we were we're uh, those are the two sides of our uh, our our takedowns of each uh, movie we talk about. She'll just uh, comment on the uh, dance aspect of it and the dance history, and then we'll just kind of talk about the more filmic aspects of it. But yeah, those are kind of the projects that I'm working on. Yeah, make sure you guys go in, uh, give Laura a follow. Um, definitely into. Um, I, I will have to dive into more of this. Uh, this uh, dance in movie podcast because that sounds exactly like my type of shit. Yeah, uh, it's it's. There's only one episode so far. It's a video series, but uh, in October we did a fun episode about uh, Rocky Horror. But there are two episodes coming in the near future. Very excited for that. So I will definitely be. Uh, putting links for that stuff in the description, everybody. Um, but we are at the end of Lovesick Month. So that means next month we have a new theme. So that means this episode I'll tell you the theme. I'm going to give you guys the guest lineup. Um, uh, next month, as spring approaches, it is time to venture outdoors. As we attempt to survive nature in March, we are talking outdoor horror movies from mutant cannibals in the woods to killer sharks in the ocean. Um, and we have uh, lots of movies to talk about. Joining me out in the wilderness, I have a wonderful lineup of guests, including Mr. Billy Pollahan. We got Meg Navarro from Bloody Disgusting. We got Prince Jackson from the Nightlight Podcast. We have Ariel Fisher, Mike Vanderbilt, and writer extraordinaire Michelle Swope. And we are talking so many movies, but to name a couple of them, we got Wrong Turn. We got The Ruins. We got Deep Blue Sea, we got The Wolf of Snow Hollow, and so many more. So make sure you guys are subscribed so you guys don't miss any of that. But that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blayblend Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Join us next week as we are joined by Mr. Billy Pollahan to check out Wrong Turn and Cabin Fever. Make sure you guys are following the Twitter and Instagram pages at BloodyBluntCC and my personal page at underscore Daddy Disco. Until next time, guys. Stay lifted.